Bullseye with Jesse Thorne is a production of MaximumFun.org and is distributed by NPR. It's Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. This week, the Judge John Hodgman special. You might know John Hodgman as a writer or an actor. He's a longtime contributor for The Daily Show. Recently, he's been on Amazon's Red Oaks. He wrote some best-selling books. What you might not know is that he is also a fake judge. He judges disputes both on the Judge John Hodgman podcast, which I co-host, and in the pages of the New York Times. On Judge John Hodgman, Real people share their disputes. He tells them who's right, who's wrong. And I, Jesse Thorne, am the bailiff. Let's get into it. It's Bullseye. Today, you'll hear two cases from Judge John Hodgman's court. In Grand Theft Risotto, a mother and son disagree over the use of stolen recipes in their family's cookbook. So I, I got a copy of this book and started leafing through it. Sure. And as I came across like the first recipe, I recognized this seems a lot like that one that Emily made. And then I just didn't really think anything of it. I kept going. And as I flipped through these pages, by the time I was done, I realized I think it was about four out of the five recipes that my mom submitted. She had wholesale got from my wife and had never once made herself. And here's a fun fact. That case ends with one of the family members literally in a garbage can. Then, in Assault and Hay Batter Battery, a woman brings her husband to court because she's embarrassed by his loud heckling at sporting events. Why were you booing the children, Spencer? Well, I wasn't booing the children. There was a uh, video clip playing up on the big screen at the time with an interview of one of their players, and I was booing that, not realizing that these children were skating onto the ice. You were booing a video clip. Yeah, you know that guy who's being videoed can't hear you. <laughs> yeah, that, that one I can honestly say I'm, I'm a little bit ashamed of. So, if you'll give me a moment to clip on my bailiff badge and put on this special bailiff hat, let's get right into it. The court of Judge John Hodgman is now in session. Our first case, Grand Theft Risotto. Mike and Mary Beth join us via Skype. Mike brings the case against Mary Beth. She's his mom. He says Mary Beth knowingly took her daughter-in-law's recipes for a family cookbook and passed them off as her own. Mary Beth says that the attribution was implied and that there was no wrongdoing. Who's right? Who's wrong? Who will end up in a garbage can? Only one man can decide. Please rise as Judge John Hodgman enters the courtroom. Bailiff Jesse Thorne, swear them in. Please rise and raise your right hands. Do you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help you God or whatever? I do. I do. Do you swear to abide by Judge John Hodgman's ruling, despite the fact that when cooking, he never uses recipes, preferring to rely instead on his innate sense of recipe? I do. I do. Very well, Judge Hodgman. Uh, Mike and Emily, you're kind of on the same side, or Emily, you're, you're standing by as a neutral uh, expert witness to this case. Really, it's Mike taking his mother to court. Is that correct? Correct. Yes. All right. So we have a new expert witness, though, another food writer, uh, and his name is Kenji Lopez-Alt. He is the managing culinary director of Serious Eats, 
And he's also the author of The Food Lab, which is a book, The Food Lab, Better Home Cooking Through Science, which just won a James Beard Award. Is that not correct, Kenji? Uh, That's correct. Congratulations to you and welcome to the Judge John Hodgman podcast. So, Mike, your mom is a thief. Mm -hmm. Talk to me about what a terrible person she is. (laughs) So, um, my mom, you know, I think to start with both me and my mother, and I get it from her, have a very competitive nature. And as far as that relates to this cookbook, it has a little blurb at the beginning about how all these recipes have history and, you know, like some of our family should be able to look at these recipes and drudge up memories and things and times when we've had them. And there's a lot of these recipes in there like that my aunt and other people submitted that do just that. So when I received... It is true, it is true that food has a real quality of dredging up memories. Yeah. I think that's what Proust wrote about, right? Oh, these Madelines making me think about my childhood, dredging up those memories again. Ugh. So he said it in French and wrote it down also. But let's back up a little bit and just get to, to the crime you're accusing her of. I don't care about your competitive nature. Okay. And I know well, what a family. Well, maybe some people don't know what a family cookbook is. A family cookbook is what, Mary Beth? It is a compilation of recipes that the family has made over the years, repeatedly made over the years, and brought to family functions and holidays. So, Mike, you claim that Mary Beth took recipes from your wife Emily, yes, who is currently suffering in silent shame and mortification. Exactly. So I I got a copy of this book and started leafing through it. And as I came across like the first recipe, I recognized this seems a lot like that one that Emily made. And then I just didn't really think anything of it. I kept going. And as I flipped through these pages, by the time I was done, I realized I think it was about four out of the five recipes that my mom submitted. She had wholesale got from my wife and had never once made herself. Mary Beth, is that true? Yes, they were ones I had tasted that she had made and I loved. So when my sister did a revised edition of the cookbook and asked if there were any ones we wanted to add, I sent them to her, Mm -hmm. not giving any thought, just like the first edition, of submitting them. And let's get specific here. Mm -hmm. You sent in some evidence, right, Mike? Mm -hmm. And these are pages from the cookbook. Correct. The Brogan Family Cookbook. There, I name-checked you. Now yes. okay. now you'll be found. Some new, some old. First edition, November 2000. Revised edition, December 2012. I presume, Mary Beth, that is this revised edition to which you, you added these recipes? Yes. All right. So, Mike, give me one of these recipes. I'm looking at page seven. Is it the recipe for deviled eggs? Um, okay, yeah, the- no, no. This is perfect because you can really, <laughs> this is where you can really tell. It really stands out. Let me walk... Listeners through this. The first recipe is for deviled eggs. <laughs> which is hard. And the and the recipe goes, make deviled eggs, basically. <laughs> the second recipe has two ingredients, one of which is Lipton's onion soup mix, and the other, which is one container regular or light sour cream. And guess what that's called? Lip- Lipton brand onion soup dip. I don't think that that's Emily's own recipe. And then we get to farm stand salsa. One of these things is not like the other. Because <laughs> now we got two avocados, cherry tomatoes, three ears of corn, cut off the cob, uncooked, green onions, red onion diced, lemon, lime, sea salt, 
holy moly, this is a, a beautiful, fresh salsa that does not involve onion soup in any way. Emily, <laughs> do I guess right that this is your recipe? It is. I don't know if I'd call it a recipe, but it is something that I, uh, I made and, and brought. This is the Judge John Hodgman special on Bullseye. I'm your bailiff, Jesse Thorne. Mother and son, Mary Beth and Mike, are with us by Skype. Mike says his mom stole recipes for the family cookbook. We just heard one of them. In a minute, we'll check in with some expert thoughts from an expert witness, Kenji Lopez-Alt of Serious Eats. Let's get back to the courtroom. Kenji? Yes? Here's, an, here's a question for you. What do you think? Are recipes intellectual property? Well, I mean, I can tell you what I think. I can also tell you what the government thinks. Um, yeah, I'll, so, I'll allow both opinions if they're different. <laughs> well, so so my question would be, in, in the context of this um, particular recipe book, there are clearly recipes that violate, you know, at least government intellectual property laws. Like, you know, famous Lipton onion soup dip. That That's not Mary Beth's recipe. That's not... <laughs> That's nobody's recipe, but the Lipton Company's recipe. Yeah, um, and so so she does seem to be taking liberties anyway, um, which which to me means that you know it, it can be assumed that none of the recipes in this book are truly sort of developed from whole cloth original. And and what does that really mean in a recipe anyway? You know, yeah, I nobody, mean, are any recipes developed from whole cloth original? I, I would say no. You know, even recipes that are newly developed, like the type of recipes that 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 I work on. Right. Um, they're, they're still based on existing techniques. Um, maybe we're modifying the techniques a little bit. Um, you know, what I can tell you is that if I publish a recipe in a book, um, the only claim that someone can make if I, you know, that, that I stole it from them is if I'm using the exact same language, is if the ingredients list is identical and the, and the wording in the, uh, in the language is identical. Um, it, uh, you know, a recipe on its own, just the concept of combining ingredients and right. cooking them in a certain way, it's not something that you can copyright. Um, the language which you use to express those ideas, that is something that you can copyright. Let's move on here to this next page. Baked blueberry pecan French toast. Now, whose recipe is this, Mike? This is without a doubt my wife's recipe. All right. Can I add a quick piece of evidence to the file here? I'd be glad if you would. <laughs> um, I, you know, I'm sitting at my computer and I just did a quick Google search for baked blueberry pecan French toast. Oh my god! What, um, what have so, you turned so first out? First of all, there, there are over six hundred thousand results. Gung, um, gung. But the very first one from Epicurious uh, is this exact recipe. <gasps> Emily. Takes a thief to know a thief. Oh, wow. Now, if I could add one thing in Emily's defense. No, thank you. Anyway, <laughs> I, I take it back, Mike. What is it? So the way I watch her cook is that she will definitely start out with a, a recipe like this from Epicurious. And the first time she makes it, she tends to follow, you know, what's here. And she doesn't always write down the changes that she makes, but after having done this like four or five times, it's, you know, maybe not drastically so, but it is definitely different than the original Mike, recipe you heard, off the website. you heard, expert witness, this recipe reproduced here is directly from the internet. Well, that would be what because... What she does in practice does not matter to me. It's what she publishes. So... <laughs> <laughs> It also, well, it also seems to me like right now you're saying that the recipe published in the book is not actually Emily's recipe. So, so then I don't understand what your problem with including that. You're, you're saying, first of all, that yeah. your mom is stealing recipes from Emily, and now you're saying that this actually isn't her recipe. You hear, so. you hear that, you guys? You know what that's the sound of? 
That's the sound of our expert witness finding a crux. Well, I would agree with you, except that if you go back to the preface of the cookbook, where it says that all of these recipes have like a deeper family history, and and many of them do, like the ones submitted my aunts, like I read these and I can remember my aunt making them. Um, you know, I remember a Christmas where like lots of these recipes were used, whereas my mom has submitted a recipe she has never made before, has no family history, and she has just taken from Emily to put in this cookbook where it kind of violates that opening page of saying that this stuff already has a history. Well, what about the note at the bottom of that page, which mentions new, uh, new clan members? Excuse me? <laughs> there's, uh, there's a note at the bottom of page three under the preface that says, since then we have had many new additions to the Brogan clan, so there has been oh. a variety of many new recipes waiting to be shared. I thought you were talking about a different clan. <laughs> Maybe in the 2017 revised edition, you might want to adjust that note on the bottom of page three. We just say family. So the original preface, it does say that this is a family recipe book and it's all about the families, the recipes we had growing up. The note, though, mentions that there's new family members and that these are specific, that the new recipes are specifically new recipes waiting to be shared. Yeah, new favorites you know, added. To, yeah, to build new memories around. Kenji, you are like the court detective. And <laughs> I hope you will always be. So, Mike, Kenji just blew a hole through your hole. It violates the premise of the preface theory. So, can I can I do one on. rebuttal to that? Hang on just one second. Who Who is Emily? Was that you trying to get in there? Yeah. So I thought maybe um, to describe it, and maybe this supports what Mike is saying, and it, maybe it's the same thing that he's saying, but I think this book, more than a cookbook, is like a, like what a photo album is to a family, where it's this collection of... <laughs> Mad invoke. Madam, you do not need to introduce me to the to the concept of the self published so, so, spiral bound like, family cookbook. I am an owner. I am course. an owner, a proud owner of the self published spiral bound family cookbook. I believe from 1989 that was put together by the wives of the 1989 Hartford Whalers, and I, nice. it's one of my prized possessions. I think it involves, I honestly think it involves a recipe, quote unquote, for Franks and Beans, and I love it. <laughs> it would fit right in. Whose side are you on in this one? Now that, I, you, now that you've both been outed as thieves, you're true. taking your mother-in-law's side? Well, I'd kind of like to stay neutral. They like to battle. Explain to me how they like to battle, Emily. Well, it's, I mean, from... Placing his mom in the garbage can when she was—I mean, at they 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 have an ongoing scrabble fight. There's, I'm sorry. Did you say placing his mom in the garbage can? Yeah, that's the part she that I missed. Like, I understand the scrabble part a hundred percent. Yeah, you you, I guess you, you, just you almost yeah. distracted me with the scrabble thing. I almost take that bait, but you can't just <laughs> drop a bomb in a garbage can and just try to move on to scrabble from there. What? Can I explain that? Please. He was asking me a question, and I gave him an answer. I don't recall the question. And I said, okay, that's enough. J just drop it. And he goes, no, no, no. If you don't, whatever, I'm going to put you in the garbage can. It's and I'm like, no, no, you're not. He said, yes, I am. How, how old was he at this time? He was in high school. So you were having a dispute, and he said, if you don't do X, I'm going to put you in the mm -hmm. garbage can. Correct. And I, so, I silence, Mike. And Go so on, he Mary picked Beth. me up and he put me in so that my arms and my legs were like sticking out. I couldn't get out. But first, 
Correct. <laughs> first, she <laughs> she hid a bag of dog poop in my car to get back at me for something else. <laughs> this is intense. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because part of me is really enjoying this incredibly weird story <laughs> about some ongoing increasing prank blood feud between the two of you. But you, I just need to say, everybody, don't assault your mother bodily. Don't put your mom in the garbage can. Mike, are you truly bothered by this misappropriation of your wife's recipes? Or is this just the flimsiest of excuses to attempt to figuratively put your mom in a garbage can on my fake justice podcast? I would be lying if I didn't say it was a pretty close mix of both. Mm-hmm. What would but, you have me order if I were to find in your favor? I would like her to have to issue um, some kind of apology or retraction or some kind of added page to the cookbook to apologize and then give my wife credit mm-hmm. um, in a future edition. Mm-hmm. What, what about adding head notes to each of the recipes saying uh, exactly what the special moment or celebration they're included for is? Some, something, that, something that captures the spirit of that preface. Hold on, Kenji. This isn't about a family's love. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard enough in order to make my decision, so I'm going to go into my testing kitchen and whip up a justice foam. I'll be back in a moment with my decision. Please rise as Judge John Hodgman exits the courtroom. Here's my question for Emily and Mary Beth. Have the two of you thought about leaving Mike behind and starting a new family elsewhere? <laughs> yes, we, it's been considered. It's been considered. Mike, what food brings the best and deepest family memories for you? Um, my mom has several recipes like a potato soup. She used to make a beef stroganoff. Um, Several things that do evoke that same kind of historical memory for me, which is why I found it odd that she wouldn't have put those in there instead of stealing recipes from Emily. You know, and that's that's what I was going to say in her defense. Like, she has a few things in her toolbox there. I'm sorry, did I ask you? I missed the answer to my question there in that Uh little soliloquy. (laughs) I was trying to make you human, but I give up. (laughs) It's Bullseye's Judge John Hodgman special. I'm bailiff Jesse Thorne. In our fake court this week, a real-life mother and son. Mike says that his mom, Mary Beth, stole recipes from his wife, then passed them off as her own in a family cookbook. Is Mary Beth really a recipe thief? Is Mike defaming his own mother? After the break, Judge John Hodgman's verdict. It's the Judge John Hodgman special this week on Bullseye for MaximumFun.org and NPR. Do you know an undiscovered musician who deserves a break? Well, we have an idea for them. NPR Music is holding a Tiny Desk contest to find one great unsigned musician to play the iconic Tiny Desk concert series and tour the United States with NPR Music. All you have to do is shoot a video of your musical act playing an original song behind a desk and submit it by January 29th. Learn more at npr.org slash tinydeskcontest. Hi, this is Griffin McElroy. Hi, this is Rachel McElroy. And we're the hosts of Rose Buddies. It's a podcast about the Bachelor family of products. 
We watch The Bachelor, The Bachelorette, and Bachelor in Paradise. Yes, it is garbage television, but we're the king and queen of this garbage pile. We're the raccoons in charge around here. So join us on Tuesdays. Because the TV show's on Mondays. And basically we'll recap what we saw and we'll just sort of scoop the garbage around us and make a little fort out of it. No viewing required. But it's it's a good TV show. What are you doing? <laughs> Listening to the news all week is a duty, an obligation of citizenship, and also sometimes a pain. Wait, wait, don't tell me the NPR News Quiz is like Advil for the aching mind. And wait, there's more! The weekend of January 14th, Tom Hanks is guest hosting. Listen to Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me with special guest host Tom Hanks on the NPR One app and at npr.org slash podcasts. And one other thing, podcast listeners, if you've been enjoying Bullseye and you want to keep it going, the best way to do that is to throw a little support to your local NPR station. That support allows us to keep doing our thing. Go to stations.npr.org, find your local station, donate what you can, and tell them Bullseye sent you. And thank you so much to those of you who've already done that. Again, that's stations.npr.org. And of course, tell them Bullseye sent you. It's the Judge John Hodgman special on Bullseye. I'm bailiff Jesse Thorne. Judge John Hodgman and I, the bailiff, are hearing real disputes in fake court. This one's a doozy. Mom, Mary Beth, says that when she took her daughter-in-law's recipes for a family cookbook, attribution was implied. Her son, Mike, says mom is a recipe thief. They've made their cases. We've heard from food writer Kenji Lopez-Alt. Now the moment of judgment has arrived. Please rise as Judge John Hodgman re-enters the courtroom and delivers his verdict. There are two crimes here. One is the crime of theft or plagiarism, intentional or unintentional, well-intentioned or malintentioned. There is no question that when you take a recipe, as with any other piece of writing, and present it without due credit in a context where it might be reasonably misunderstood to be your original work, that is plagiarism. The second crime is, which one? We don't know. No one's getting credit, even for the stuff they steal. And indeed, for a family cookbook, which both in spirit and in letter of the preface is designed to help family members remember old family recipes and introduce new recipes into an existing and ongoing and growing family tradition, you're leaving out an important part of the exercise, which is helping people remember who made what, whose recipe was what, who was famous for making that Lipton soup onion dip. <laughs> and I think, Kenji, you raised a very beautiful point, which is if it is to collect memories, why not put in the memories? You have the lovely photos. You hint at the memories. But... Crediting these recipes and maybe adding a line or two about what they meant to the family will help make this whole endeavor much more meaningful. And so I uh, therefore find in Mike's favor, <clears throat> court does not like this, but it is compelled to follow justice. Mary Beth unknowingly plagiarized both her daughter and Epicurus, and she must write a note and organize a revision of the cookbook in which she explains what she did and apologizes and thereafter 
works on her own or with Mike's cooperation, or maybe Emily's help, poor woman, to give credit where credit is due for each cookbook and to give a little line of explanation as to why this is a memorable recipe and where it came from. And second of all, Mike, it was revealed that you assaulted your mother when you were in high school. (laughs) And there has never been justice for that crime. That's a strong word. So, no, it's not. No. (laughs) Reason, that's pretty much a descriptive word. Yeah. I cannot order anyone to assault you, but I can order you to get in a garbage can. (laughs) I'll assist with that. No, I mean right now. I can do that. Get in the garbage can, Mike. The same garbage can I put her in is still here. This could not be more perfect. You this guys, is the this true. Is, this, this is true justice. This is what making memories is all about. Pour some guacamole on him and then put that in the book. Emily, Emily, are you there? I want you to yeah. describe what Mike is doing. Oh man, he is trying to untangle his headphones to go to the garbage can. Here we go. Oh, he's sitting on the garbage. He didn't even bother to empty it. He is butt first in the garbage can. Are his feet off the floor? They sure are. And how does that make you feel to see justice served today? It's, it is a special That's moment. Awesome. I enjoy it. It's All right. actually kind of comfy. <laughs> this is the sound of a gavel. Judge John Hodgman rules, that is all. Please rise as Judge John Hodgman exits the court. Not you, Mike. You stay in the garbage. <laughs> Emily, how do you feel right now? You know, I think I, I think it was solved. I love the idea of adding the memories. And I think I'm going to take a picture of him in the garbage can right now for the new edition. And put it in the cookbook. What? How do you feel, Mary Beth? Not the best. I, I thought I was going to win. Well, uh, Mike, Emily, Mary Beth, thank you so much for sharing your unique family with us <laughs> on the Judge John Hodgman podcast. It's been a pleasure. Thank, thank you. you. I'm losing circulation in my legs. <laughs> I'm Jesse Thorne. This is Bullseye. You've been listening to one of our very favorite episodes of the Judge John Hodgman podcast from our podcast network, MaximumFun.org. I'm the bailiff on the show. In a little bit, we'll have another in-court dispute. But first, we get a lot of letters to the court. We just don't have enough time for everybody to call in and argue their case. So sometimes we take them as they come, and Judge Hodgman renders a snap judgment. Let's head into the judge's chambers now and clear the docket. So, Judge Hodgman, let's get right into the mailbag. Here's something from Ryan. My fiance Megan and I are working on the gift registry for our wedding. She wants to register for matching luggage. That feels a little too cute for me. We travel together a lot, but we aren't same-side-of-the-booth type people. Mm -hmm. She claims that matching luggage is a common thing for married couples. It would be weird to register for two different suitcases rather than a paired set. Which one of us do you feel is being unreasonable? Mm. Well, Jesse Thorne, I have made my verdict in my mind, but I'd love to hear. (laughs) I'd love to hear your take because you are a paragon of style as a a splendid sartorialist and admirer of... uh, accessories of all kinds. And I spent some time with you in London and you were looking at some nice suitcases. I remember that. What do you think about matching suitcases for husbands and wives? I think that there are certainly some aesthetic problematic issues around matching sets of suitcases. They can Mm -hmm. be a little cute. That Mm -hmm. is true. 
Yeah. However, I think that often a husband and wife will travel apart, and often they will have differing needs mm -hmm. um, for each trip. And so for that reason, I think it, it really does make sense to have matching luggage, not so much so that everything can match uh, when you're going on a big family trip, although that can be nice if it's not too cute of a matchy-matchy situation, but more because if husband or wife is traveling for business, they may want to be able to access a few different sizes and types of luggage, and uh, by sort of pooling resources, you get a lot further. You're talking about a luggage set. Yeah. I mean, you know, you can sort of build a luggage set over time if, if you're buying the right kind of luggage. You know, like m my wife uh -huh. and I both carry Filson luggage, and our Filson luggage has been built over 10 years, you know, starting with one bag and adding other bags as we've needed them. But now we're pretty set for any situation. May I just clarify for the listening audience that Jesse Thorne said they both have Filson luggage. The famous Seattle-based outfitters, Filson, wonderful, wonderful stuff. I heard it as we both carry filth in luggage. <laughs> and here's where my verdict agrees with you. Insofar as both husband and wife are carrying the same things in their luggage, let's say filth, then maybe it would be fine to have matching suitcases, which is what I took this letter to be about. That is to say, not a luggage set with a bunch of different sizes of luggage, but specifically suitcases that match. And I would say that if the interpretation of the letter is that Megan would like to get suitcases that are the same, that is too cutesy for me. That would be like husband and wife dressing the same. Nothing against it. It's not to my taste. And if you both are into it, you should enjoy it, I suppose having exactly the same suitcase, it would be a terrible problem for me because I have very specific suitcase needs as a traveling performer that my wife does not have. And therefore, we would need different stuff. And I tend to feel that suitcases are an expression of a kind of personal need aesthetic. And if you're both into it, that's fine. But clearly, Ryan isn't into it. Probably has his own idea of what a suitcase should look like in his life. And if that's the case, let me put it this way. This is a family-friendly podcast and now radio transmission. It's like, imagine you're a married couple and you want to hug and kiss while dressed like superheroes. If you're both into it, fine. But if one of you guys isn't into it, it's off. In this case, he's not into it. It's off. That's my ruling. Here's something from Darren. I've recently become fond of pronouncing the word raspberry using the hard S sound and a hint of the P as it is written. Raspberry, as opposed to the ubiquitous raspberry pronunciation. Ugh. My wife of 15 years and our daughters jump all over me whenever I pronounce it my new way in the home. This prevents me from trying it out in public. <laughs> I think it's a rational pronunciation, <laughs> and I should be allowed to use it. Oh, Judge Hodgman, now NPR listeners are being forced to endure <laughs> the greatest burden of our podcast, which is... 
weird dude nerds who have their own weird system that they insist is rational and everyone else should follow. And a specific subset of a listener group, not just weird nerd dudes with a system, but weird dad nerd dudes with a system. Yeah. Darren, Darren, Darren. Look, taking up a new pronunciation of a word just because is a contemptible affectation and the sort of thing that is best left to first-year college students who are trying to decide who they are in the world. But you are a weird dad. You are a, a, a weird dad as defined on the Judge John Hodgman podcast, is a dad of um, increasingly teenager or older kids whose role as a father is changing as the children are creating their own lives. And therefore, you no longer uh, know who you are or what your role is in life because you have already biologically procreated and evolution wants nothing to do with you. And therefore, you start taking on weird affectations like puns, and terrible jokes, and sports cars in order to redefine yourself. And that's what this is all about, I would guess, your raspberry. I think it's a dumb affectation. But by all means, don't take my word for it. I find in your favor. Ignore your, your wife and daughters. Go out into the world and go to a restaurant and order a raspberry Ricky or whatever and give it a shot. Drive that thing around. All I order you to do, though, is take note of how the humans around you respond to your affectation. I want you to see yourself the way they see you. And if you are willing to put up with their confusion and contempt, I'm not going to stop you. You need everything you can to be happy at this point in your life because <laughs> <laughs> your children are grown and, and your wife probably doesn't understand you anymore. Here's something from Jeffrey. My girlfriend Caitlin zealously believes in hanging up the bath mat to dry in our bathroom between showers. She insists it's normal and that I'm the weird one for not hanging up the bath mat. She continually huffs, sighs, and displays other signs of disapproval when I forget to hang it. The shamings are particularly pronounced if I tread on the mat with sandals or shoes. Oh! I've never heard of this habit before I met her, and I've had a lot of trouble adapting. I'd like the judge to rule that the bath mat can either be hung or left on the ground as determined by whomever last used the shower. I would also like him to forbid Caitlin from shaming me about either not hanging or walking on the mat. I wish I had them here so that I could clarify, because when he, when he says that when he leaves the bath mat on the floor after the shower, that Caitlin continually huffs, was she huffing paint or glue? That's what I want to know. You're always you're always searching for that next high, Judge Hodgman. But you know, you can actually get a pretty good buzz off a week old bath mat if you don't leave it out to dry and you put your face <laughs> right down into it. Let me tell you something. I hate bath mats. They're disgusting, usually wet, unless you leave them up to dry. And if you leave them on the floor after your shower, they try to murder you by tripping you all the time. All the time. I've never not tripped over a bath mat. There, one bath mat that I had, which was the only one that I liked, was a, a wooden cedar bath mat that rested above the ground 
So you could step out onto that thing like in a spa or in a sauna. I would not say that you are weird for not hanging up the bath mat. Bath mats are often left down between showers in order to annoy me. Uh, So that is not unusual. But if you are stepping onto a bath mat with your outside shoes, shame on you, monster. As far as I'm concerned, if your girlfriend would like to keep her bath mats dry and non-murderous, then you should support her in that and hang them up to dry after the shower. After the break, our fake court, here's the case of assault and hay batter battery. Hubby loves heckling loudly when he's at the ball game. It leaves his wife petrified. Who's in the right? Find out when we come back. It's the Judge John Hodgman special this week on Bullseye for MaximumFun.org and NPR. Support for this podcast and the following message come from HelloFresh, the meal kit delivery service that makes cooking fun, easy, and convenient. HelloFresh sources the freshest ingredients measured to the exact quantities needed to eliminate food waste, along with step-by-step recipes for delicious meals designed to take 30 minutes to make. And everything's delivered in a special insulated box for free. Bullseye listeners can receive $35 off their first week of deliveries. Just visit HelloFresh.com and enter promo code BULLSEYE35 on your first purchase. Hey guys, this is Adam Conover. You may know me from my true TV show, Adam Ruins Everything. Well, guess what? Now we're doing a podcast version right here on Maximum Fun. What we do is we take all the interesting, fascinating experts that we talk to for just a couple minutes on the show, and we sit with them for an entire podcast, really going deep and getting into the fascinating details of their work. Find Adam Ruins Everything wherever you get your podcasts or at MaximumFun.org. A quick thank you to our sponsor who brings you this message, ZipRecruiter. They understand that posting your job in one place isn't enough to find quality candidates. If you want to find the perfect hire, you need to post your job on all the top job sites. And now you can. With ZipRecruiter.com, you can post your job to 100-plus job sites, including social and media networks like Facebook and Twitter, all with a single click. Click. Right now, Bullseye listeners can post jobs on ZipRecruiter for free by going to ZipRecruiter.com slash Bullseye. It's the Judge John Hodgman special on Bullseye. I'm bailiff Jesse Thorne. We're trying real disputes in fake radio court. Our next case, assault and hay batter battery. Naomi files suit against her husband, Spencer. She's embarrassed by his loud and incessant heckling at baseball games. Who's right? Who's wrong? Only one man can decide. Please rise as Judge John Hodgman enters the courtroom. Spencer, you have been brought in here because you are a Philadelphia Phillies fan. Is that correct? Yes. And uh, you are married to Naomi, who is embarrassed by you. Yeah, unfortunately. Why are you embarrassed by your husband, Naomi? I'm not a big sports fan. He's trying really hard to get me into sports, but he's just not helping by screaming at everyone. I just never felt more British and reserved in all my life. Naomi, I can understand how you would be uncomfortable in your Britishness when your husband is acting like a a sports jerk, uh, given the reputation for gentility among British sports fans. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You got me there. 
<laughs> I was actually in school with a boy who went to prison for throwing pennies at people at a football game and hurting people. So <laughs> Throwing single pennies or rolls of pennies? Well, like pound coins and like the 50p's are really sharp and yeah. just all kinds of whatever was in his pocket, I guess. <laughs> So you go to a Phillies game and you heckle, I presume, the opposing team. Right, yeah. Right. And how do you go about it? What's your technique? It depends on whether or not it's a controversial player. Like There there have been players that have notoriously used steroids, so I just remind them of that for most of the innings of the game. Okay, say I'm a baseballer. I'm so well known for using steroids that I have hypodermic needles coming out of my thighs while I'm on the field. What do you got for me? The, the last game we went to, I made fun of the size of the player's feet, which I have no evidence on whether or not this player had small feet. But that that was about all my artillery for nine innings. Naomi, Spencer seems unwilling to directly quote himself. <laughs> what what was he saying to Johnny Smallfeet in the baseball team? What was the guy's name? That was uh, Joey Votto. Joey's got little feet, size six women's, over and over again for the entire game. (laughs) And how close to the player were you? Close. Yeah, like making eye contact with us close. We were about four (laughs) rows from the front. Yeah, I may or may not have caused a little child to not get a foul ball thrown to him by uh, Joey Votto. How did it go down? He caught a foul ball and went to kind of gesture that he was going to throw it to a small child, and then he mm-hmm. didn't. And the crowd went nuts, booed him. And after the game, he said he wasn't trying to uh, get back at the small child, but to a heckler that was heckling him for the whole game. And is there any doubt that you were the heckler? I'd like to think there is, but I'm really not positive. There's no way to tell one way or the other. Naomi, was he the heckler or not in this case? Was he to blame? I think so. You think so, but were there other hecklers there? Not as loud as him. Spencer was literally the only person I could hear at this game. And everyone else sitting around us was like quietly watching the game, eating peanuts and whatever, and he was just screaming. We were so close to the field, I'm I'm pretty sure it was him. Yes, we were uh, four rows away right next to first base, which Joey Votto plays. How could that not be you? Why don't you take credit for this? <laughs> And and in my defense, this small child did get a uh, Mike Schmidt autographed baseball, who is a legend in Philadelphia. He's legendary, among other things, for having been booed in his later seasons in Philadelphia. <laughs> yeah, that's why I had to ask if he was actually heckling the other team or Philadelphia, because Philadelphia fans can be a little rough. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm not uh, a Philadelphia fan all around with all the sports. It's only the Phillies. Mm-hmm. So I'm not quite as harsh against my own teams as a lot of fans of Philadelphia. Have you ever heckled a Philly? I have not. But I have heckled Philadelphia Flyers. And uh, that didn't go over very well. <laughs> Naomi, it sounds to me like Spencer is yelling at people all the time. Is this true? <laughs> <laughs> no, he's a very sweet, lovable guy. And then we go to a game and he just turns into an animal. I don't know what happens to him. How long have you guys been married? We've been married two years. And how did you meet? Uh, We were like just friends online for a little bit, um, just talking for a few weeks. And then I actually won a trip to New York with the old company I worked for. 
So I just said to Spencer, hey, I'm going to be like a couple of hours away from you. Do you want to hang out? And then rest is history. And what do you do now? Now I'm a fiber artist. I make um, slippers and decor and all kinds of baby things from alpaca fiber. And I sell them here in Lancaster. Do you have your own alpacas? Uh, They're not my alpacas. When I moved here, uh, there's an alpaca farm down the road from us. I asked her if I could help out just to keep me occupied while I found a job. And I just never left. This sounds like a tremendous life change that you went through. It was pretty drastic. How do you like it? I love it. It's like the old expression, once you go alpaca, you never go alpaca. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. I'm fired. I'm firing myself. I'm fired. (laughs) That's enough. That's a pretty good joke, though. I like it. And Spencer, are you from the region? Originally, I am from Louisville, Kentucky, but I moved up here about 12... 13 years ago. Well, congratulations on you guys finding each other. But I think I want to ask Naomi, having moved across the Atlantic Ocean to join a stranger in a strange land and having fallen in love and then gotten married, how did you feel when your husband revealed this, uh, I want to say this Mr. Hyde side of himself, but it's really more of a Dr. Heckle. (laughs) (laughs) You're fired too, Judge Hodgman. Yes, please. (laughs) Well, the first time it happened, um, oh, it was when, it was the steroids guy. It was the first, was the first one. So I don't even know what to think. Like, he was just a totally different person. He's so, like, sweet and laid back usually. I mean, he had no voice by the end of the game. He was screaming so much. And so ever since then, he promises me every game that he's not going to heckle. And it just always ends up me going back to the car grumpy because he's heckled every time. It's the Judge John Hodgman special on Bullseye. I'm bailiff Jesse Thorne. We're trying real cases in our fake court this week. We've just heard from Naomi. She's frustrated her husband, Spencer, keeps heckling at baseball games despite promising that he'll stop. But why does he love to heckle? Let's get back to the courtroom. Spencer, what did you yell at the person who was using steroids? Uh, I just let him know that he shouldn't be allowed in the league and how awful he is. And He's a, he's a pretty high-profile player with quite a bit of controversy around him. Who is it? It doesn't matter to me. His name is uh, Ryan Braun. And what do you yell at Ryan Braun? And I don't want you to paraphrase what you yell at him. I want you to to do it. Uh, Oh, you want me to yell? Yeah, I want you to yell. Just maybe back up a little bit from the microphone. All right. Ryan Braun, you suck! You shouldn't be allowed in the league! Things like that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know what? To your credit, you had quoted yourself pretty accurately. (laughs) So how do you feel when your beloved uh, reveals this side to himself? Did you have a moment of going like, oh, my God, I made a horrible mistake? (laughs) In coming to the game, yes. But just embarrassed, frightened sometimes. Like when we were at that Flyers game, I honestly thought that was the end for me. I thought everyone was going to murder us. What was the reaction of the people around you? Did they say things? Did they threaten? 
Yeah, well, not threatened, but um, Spencer was called out because, and he's probably going to argue me on this, but we were there with a couple of friends, and Spencer was so caught up in his heckling, he's just screaming all kinds of stuff and booing. Well, it was during, like, a little interval or whatever, and some kids came onto the ice, and they started skating around, and Spencer was still booing. Kids, like children. Yeah, like six years old. Right, well, why wouldn't you? (laughs) Boo! (laughs) You're not as good at hockey as the other guys! You don't seem professional! Boo! (laughs) Why were you booing the children, Spencer? Well, I wasn't booing the children. There was a uh, video clip playing up on the big screen at the time with an interview of one of their players, and I was booing that, not realizing that these children were skating onto the ice. You were booing a video clip. Yeah, you know that guy who's being videoed can't hear you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that that one I can honestly say I'm I'm a little bit ashamed of. That's one where you went too far. (laughs) It, It is. Naomi, do you get the sense that his behavior is unusual among the fans? I mean, every game I've gone to, the Phillies have lost. So the fans have always been very... Oh, you're the curse. I am the curse. The founder, <laughs> finally. <laughs> I'm not asking whether his heckling helps the Phillies win or lose. I'm asking whether the people around him react as poorly to his heckling as you do. Oh, at the last game they did, there was a family directly in front of us Um and the girl who was sat right in front of Spencer would just, every time he screamed, just kind of close her eyes and like scrunch her shoulders up like, please stop. And how old was she, would you guess? Ballpark it for me. <laughs> she was like, she was, a te- <laughs> she was a teenager, maybe like 16 or something. Have you just considered not going and, and just chilling with the alpacas? <laughs> well, he always seems to really want me to go. Like he asks me all the time and I do like the food and... I like the Phillies fanatic, but I, I do say I'll come with you if you don't hackle, and then he hackles. In the rest of your relationship, though, all's well? All good. Everything. Now I'll come back to Spencer. Why should I rule in your favor and not Naomi's? What does heckling at sports events mean to you such that I should uphold your right to do it? So... Heckling in sports has always been a part of baseball. I think, you know, back in the day, you heard the swing, batter, batter, swing. And that was kind of an old-fashioned version of what I'm doing. I just think it's always been part of the game. And yeah, but swing, batter, batter, is, is, is that heckling, Jesse? It's not abusive. It's not like you're out there yelling, we want a pitcher, not a belly itcher. <laughs> But being vocally engaged has always been part of the sport. Is that what you're saying? Right, yes. And do you think you could enjoy baseball in the same way if I were to put a gag order on you or literally force you to wear a gag in the future next time you go? I would probably enjoy the game just as much, but it wouldn't be as much fun or as... I wouldn't feel as part of that particular game if I'm getting reactions out of the players when I wouldn't be heckling them. Do you notice that you're getting a reaction out of your wife, that she is uncomfortable and shy about your heckling? Uh, yeah, I, I do notice it. It's, it's just the kind of thing where 
that, that I think it's much funnier than she does because a lot of these players she's not very familiar with and the kind of reaction that I'm trying to get. You're suggesting that if she followed baseball more closely, you yelling and making 15-year-old girls around you nervous and, and upset would be a lot funnier. In context, this guy's a Reuter. Therefore, I should scream at everyone around me. Well, I mean, the the roiding thing went over a lot better in the stadium than the the small feet thing. It was the small feet thing where people were really getting upset. The the roiding thing, everyone was kind of on my why, side. Also, why the small feet? What, does that guy have small feet? I don't know. It's just something <laughs> that they they won't hear, and it, it, that'll get a bigger reaction than any kind of personal actual insult. I think I've heard everything that I need to hear. I'm going to go in uh, to consult with the five alpacas I have in my chambers. And uh, just for fairness of representation, I also have a goat in there. And uh, we'll uh, talk it over. I'll be back in a moment with my decision. Please rise as Judge John Hodgman exits the courtroom. Naomi, how are you feeling about your chances? I think that went pretty well. Spencer, are you worried? Yeah, I don't think that went over well, as well as I would have liked with me. I'm Jesse Thorne. You're listening to the Judge John Hodgman special on Bullseye. Spencer told us how much he loves to heckle at the ballgame. His wife, Naomi, says it drives her nuts. Who's in the right? Please rise as Judge John Hodgman re-enters the courtroom and delivers his verdict. So to a certain degree here, we have a cultural gap. Because even though, as Jesse Thorne established, there is a long legacy of people yelling and throwing things at sporting events in the UK. Uh, it does not seem to have been a legacy that Naomi participated in when she lived there. And now she is in the midst of a new culture, a culture of baseball, which um, some people, including me, associate with literally a day in the park, a lovely open air afternoon watching an exposition of some men standing and then after a while not standing so slowly. And they occasionally run. And I was actually came around to some degree to your point of view, Spencer, when you explained that this player that you were heckling, Vato, doesn't necessarily have small feet. That was just a thing that you thought to say to him that got the reaction that you wanted. And so you pressed on and you pressed on until finally he got so mad he denied a child pleasure. And in a weird kind of way, that was its own poetry. I mean, I feel bad for that little kid. But you found a way through an almost nonsensical physical non-attribute to really get at a guy. So at least by your own terms, congratulations there. I guess part of what I'm saying here, Naomi, is this is part of Philadelphia fan culture. And like it or not, it exists, and your husband is pretty good at it. <laughs> Philadelphia has a weird energy to it. And I will say, Spencer, you are tapped into that energy. And I don't know how to deny a man his right to make other people uncomfortable around him at sports. But I will say this. You've heard from your wife, and you know how she feels. You've made promises to take her feelings into account that you have failed to keep. 
And that cannot stand. Do not promise not to heckle and then heckle. Because that is something that will carry over in time in your relationship beyond the moment of your wife cringing during the sports game. And I would encourage you as well to consider context for heckling beyond what is happening just around the one-inch perimeter around your body. You cannot heckle at a Philadelphia Phillies game unless you are in a clear, affirmative consent heckling zone. Look around you. Take a moment to soak it in who these people are around you and whether they're going to want to hear you psychologically torment a player and look at your wife sitting next to you and think about, do I want her to keep coming to these games? Do I want her to feel comfortable too? And then you say to her, either, I promise not to heckle, or, sorry honey, I'm going to do it. But either way, be honest so that she can make a fair decision to get out of there and pretend to use the bathroom for two hours. This is the sound of a gavel. <laughs> Judge John Hodgman rules that is all. Please rise as Judge John Hodgman exits the courtroom. Naomi, how are you feeling about this case? Do you feel like in giving your husband the right to heckle, uh, the judge has gone too far? No, he still has the right to heckle, but I, I do like how he's put him in the appropriate place to do it. Spencer, when Mike Schmidt autographed a ball for the little boy that Joey Votto didn't throw a ball to, uh, did you boo him? Uh, I, I did not see him autograph the ball, but I would not have. Uh, Naomi Spencer, thank you so much for joining us on the Judge John Hodgman podcast. That's all for this week's Judge John Hodgman special on Bullseye. We'll be back with interviews and cultural recommendations next week. If you enjoyed this show, you want more internet justice, you can find over 250 episodes of Judge John Hodgman at MaximumFun.org or wherever you download podcasts. If you've got a case to submit for consideration by the judge, you can go to MaximumFun.org slash JJHO. As you've heard on this week's program, no real dispute is too big or too small. I've been your bailiff, Jesse Thorne. The show's produced by Speaking Into Microphones. Our producer is Kevin Ferguson with help from Christian Duenas. Production fellow at MaximumFun.org is Kara Hart. Special thanks to Jennifer Marmer for editing and compiling these cases. And Maximum Fund's senior producer is Laura Swisher. All our interstitial music is provided by Dan Wally. Our theme was recorded by the Go team and provided to us by them and by their label, Light in the Attic Records. If you want to hear any of our past Bullseye shows, all of them are free. Just go to MaximumFun.org, and I guess that's about it. Just remember, all great radio hosts have a signature sign-off. Bullseye with Jesse Thorne is a production of MaximumFun.org and is distributed by NPR. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.